Welcome to the monthly Three Edge View from the Edge for August 2023. I'm Fritz Foltz, the Chief Investment Strategist here at Three Edge. I'm joined here once again today by Eric Beagleisen, Director of Investment Research and the Deputy Chief Investment Officer here at Three Edge Asset Management. Eric and I will be providing our firm's most recent outlook for the global capital markets, which is based on our proprietary Three Edge research model. As we turn the calendar into the last month of summer, sorry to remind everyone of that, this past week we've seen markets experience a bit of a wobble, interrupting what has been a seemingly inexorable climb higher in equity markets thus far in 2023. Also in the past few weeks, we've seen the world's major central banks continue to keep themselves front and center as they continue to tighten monetary policy and increase interest rates. Here in the U.S., the Fed, as expected, recently raised short-term rates by another 25 basis points, pushing the funds rate up to the highest level in 22 years. The rate hike marked the 11th time the Fed has raised rates since March of 2022, as it continues its effort to bring down inflation to its 2% target. European Central Bank, the ECB, also raised short-term rates by 25 basis points to 3.75%, and that's the ninth increase for the ECB. However, the officials at the ECB sounded a bit more dovish in their comments, indicating that maybe this would be the last move uh, in their tightening cycle should inflation in Europe uh, continue to decline. And then just a few days ago, Bank of England joined in and raised short-term rates for the 14th consecutive time as it battles persistently high inflation in the UK. And then last but not least, the biggest central bank news came from Japan. The Bank of Japan announced that it would gradually loosen its yield curve control policy, whereby they capped longer-term bond yields at one-half of 1%. The Japanese central bank has been buying government bonds on a massive scale to cap interest rates on long-term debt, seeking to keep borrowing costs low and help to stimulate the Japanese economy. And up to this point, the Bank of Japan had really been the only major central bank not to have tightened monetary policy to rein in inflation. Also, as I mentioned earlier, this past week, we have seen the equity bond markets, you know, have have perhaps what might be a little bit of a hiccup here, and it seemed to coincide with the rating agency Fitch cutting its credit rating, excuse me, that's a mouthful, on U.S. government debt from AAA to AA+, citing mounting government debt and the debt ceiling standoff, which actually occurred two months ago, but which almost did push the U.S. to default on its debt. And Fitch had indicated that they may do this way back in May and said that a downgrade was possible. So you might think that investors would think, oh, you know, it's okay, we'll get through this. But I think what happened was people sort of harkened back to 2011 when the other rating agency, Standard & Poor's, pretty much shocked financial markets with a similar move in response to a similar fight over the U.S. debt ceiling. And perhaps the fly in the ointment here could be that bond yields are rising. Treasury yields climbed higher in the middle of the past week after a report of stronger than expected job growth in the U.S. And also weighing on Treasury yields is the government's need to increase the size of its bond sales to help cover the deficit. And higher interest rates, higher bond yields could be a significant headwind for an already expensive equity market to continue higher from here. So only time will tell. 
And with all of that going on, let's get started here. Let me bring Eric into the equation. And Eric, uh, we'll start as we do with our three-edge asset class matrix. So take it away. Great. Thanks, Fritz. It's a nice overview. Um, you can see here from the asset class matrix that we put together, just a, a bunch of uh, white boxes here with no arrows. So we haven't really changed our outlook, broadly speaking, for any one of the asset classes that we model. That said, there are a few uh, things under the hood going on that, that are going to be worth discussing. In particular, is our uh, Japan or developed Asia, uh, as well as India in particular. But there's a, there's a number of uh, notable things happening. So we'll, we'll, we'll get through these, I'm sure. Great. So let's dig in. Uh, let's start with equities uh, and begin with U.S. equities. Uh, you know, clearly climbed higher throughout the year, looking awfully expensive, uh, particularly with yields rising here um, uh, just starting last week. So what's our model indicating for U.S. equities? Yeah. yeah U.S. equities have continued their advance in July. Uh, the S&P 500 rose over 3% last month, uh, bringing the year-to-date gains over 20%. Uh, and so it's important, though, just as a, as a you know, bigger frame of reference here and a reminder that when you look at performance from the start of last year, say January 1 of 2022, the market's actually still slightly down on a total return basis. So that's just important to, you know, on the heels of last year's drawdowns that we saw in equities uh, and fixed income markets. Um, with regard specifically to U.S. equities, though, we've seen positive developments with the Fed's fight on inflation. Uh, has it has come down somewhat. We've all been watching those CPI prints. Data on the U.S. consumer does seem strong as well. So you know that that kind of coincides with the rally we've seen in U.S. equities. Um, and as you noted, perhaps it's a bit overdone, and perhaps we're in a bit of a bubble territory driven by this positive investor sentiment, as well as some concentration in some of those more growthy tech names. Um, you know, consumers and corporations in the U.S. continue to benefit from fiscal stimulus through the government programs like the Inflation Reduction Act. And it seems like this fiscal stimulus is offsetting some of the negatives from the monetary tightening that we're seeing from the Federal Reserve. But as we know, and as you've noted uh, it, many times, the effects of monetary tightening um, and rising interest rates always operate with a long and a variable lag. So the full impact of the Fed's tightening of monetary policy uh, may still lay ahead, particularly if and when the fiscal stimulus uh, effects run dry. Uh, and while there has been this positive news in the U.S., there also uh, have been some caution signs appearing. And we saw a recent note from Bloomberg indicating that corporate bankruptcies are rising at the second fastest pace since 2008. And the only time since 2008 when the number of corporate bankruptcies was higher than now is during the global pandemic. So in the face of this investor euphoria, right, we remain cautious, uh, as we have been for quite some time on U.S. equities, particularly in the face of, you know, the significantly inverted U.S. Treasury yield curve. Um, which does have a strong track record of signaling future economic weakness and the potential for a recession. Absolutely. So, all right. So now let's look at Japanese equities, which is an equity market that we favor over U.S. equities for a variety of reasons. So um, what is the model telling us about Japanese equities at this point? Yeah, like the U.S., um, <clears throat> Japan, uh, J Japanese equities, that is, enjoyed a strong July up around 2.5% for the month up about 17% on the year. And if you if you were to hedge that exposure, uh, it's up nearly 30% on the year. And so the big news recently, and you, you already alluded to this, um, was the Bank of Japan, the BOJ's monetary policy announcement that it would gradually shift this 
its yield curve control policy, effectively allowing the 10-year bond yield to float up to as high as a percent from the current imposed cap of a half a percent. So investors may have been expecting even tighter policy uh, announcement at their recent meeting because we did see a, a really sharp strengthening of the yen in mid-July leading up to that meeting. And that has reversed somewhat following this news. So investors are likely considering this move overall as a step towards the ultimate end of J Japan's you know, extraordinary decades-long monetary stimulus. Uh, time will tell. Uh, our model research maintains a positive outlook on Japanese equities, which are significantly undervalued relative to, say, the U.S. US equities. Uh, Japan is also enjoying its best economic growth in some time. This move by the BOJ to steepen their yield curve could incentivize Japanese investors to re, you know, begin repatriating their wealth back into Japan's stock and bond markets. Um, however, it's also true that the recent move uh, by the central bank will decrease the degree of monetary stimulus available in the Japanese financial system for the first time in many years. And so we'll be watching that closely to see the impact of this policy shift and its effect on the yields there and more importantly, our investments uh, in the region. Excellent. All right. So let's take a look at Europe, uh, China and India now, beginning with Europe. Yeah. Yeah. The ECB, European Central Bank, uh, recently raised short term rates uh, by a quarter point uh, to 375. You, you talked about this. This is the ninth straight increase by the ECB since tightening began last summer. Uh, officials at the ECB indicated that, you know, with this latest move, they may be nearing the end of this tightening cycle. Should inflation in the eurozone continue to decline? You know, that said, our model research continues to show headwinds for the region, you know, despite it being somewhat fairly valued, uh, inflation is still elevated. It's higher than the three and 3.75% that their rates are at. So that's a concern. And the inverted yield curve measure that we calculate for the region, you know, is contributing just overall very negative to the outlook. All right. How about uh, over in China? What are we seeing there in terms of their equity markets? I think they had a really good July. Yeah, really solid July, up over 11%, the MSCI China index in July. And that finally pushed China into positive territory on a year-to-date mm -hmm. basis, up around 5% on the year now. Now, this is on the heels of new stimulus measures from the government, which seems to be coming in drips and drabs when they, they need to do just a little bit to kind of get the economy going. You know, our model research still indicates the Chinese economy could face continuing economic growth challenges for the remainder of the year. And the ability for the government to continue these stimulative measures is just seems uncertain. It's hard to count on that. Uh, so, you know, and then, of course, you have the geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China also remaining a concern. So, you know, overall, in the near term, at least the outlook for Chinese equities remains negative. All right. And lastly, why don't we talk about India? And I know you're kind of excited about, well, you're very interested in what you're seeing uh, in the India market. So let us in on that. What, what's the model saying about India? Yeah, well, we saw, you know, India as well had a positive July up around 2%, um, you know, bringing the year to date gains to around seven. So it's certainly a laggard compared to some of the other equity indices, uh, on, at least uh, on a year to date basis. You know, the research has indicated a negative outlook for the region for quite some time, including for the month of August, uh, due to the inverted yield curve measure that we calculate, and, you know, that was seemingly also continuing to head in a more inverted direction. So, you know, both negatives here. And so, so that said, though, there may be, and I mentioned this early on, we may be seeing a turning point, though, for this, um, as we're seeing potentially the early signs of a re-steepening of the yield curve 
and, and so perhaps in the months ahead, that becomes a net positive contributor. We also may be seeing some early signs of tightening of certain credit spread measures that we look at. So those could all be potential uh, positives for the region. And we've seen the Reserve Bank of India, the central bank there, uh, attempting to reduce inflation uh, through rate increases having been somewhat successful. Um, so while valuations are a bit uncompelling, uh, there are some potential early signs of, of positive factors in, the, in the, the future months ahead. So time will tell. For now, the outlook remains negative, but, but uh, you know, on notice potentially for an uptick. Yeah, and I think that's one of the interesting things about the model, because not only are you getting the model's outlook for where you happen to be right now, but it's also indicating what it may uh, tell you in the future months. And I think that's what you're referring to in, in terms of India. So that's pretty cool. All right, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the bond market. Uh, we have seen, you know, just this past week, we saw the, you know, as I said, U.S. Treasury yields kind of spike up here. Um and so, you know, what is our outlook here for interest rates? And so we'll talk about U.S. Treasury bond yields in particular. What are we seeing there? Yeah, uh, the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond yield, again, is broken above 4%. <clears throat> but reminder that the three-month T-bill is uh, around 5.4%. And, uh, and to put that in perspective, that's right kind of right in the middle of the Fed's target range at five and a quarter to 5.5% currently. Uh, right now, the market is not pricing in any additional rate increases. If anything, there'll be rate decreases uh, into 2024. Uh, only time will tell on, on what the, the central bank uh, ultimately decides to do at the September meeting. Um, you know, by this measure and by the standard that we use at, at Three Edge, the yield curve, you know, though, is significantly inverted. Um, and so historically, an inversion of a yield curve has been a sign of economic slowdown or recession. You know, so we we do we continue to take this as a serious sign of caution um, should be warranted, uh, and so we continue to favor you know shorter term U.S. Treasury instruments. They're earning attractive yield, relatively low yeah. duration, relatively low credit risk, despite the Fitch yeah. downgrade, and and serve as you know dry powder for opportunities that may lay ahead. Yeah. Then the one. So we don't get a Fed meeting in August, but what we do have is the. Jackson Hole Symposium and the chair of the Fed, that would be Chair Powell, will give uh, a major address. And I believe last year he, he did that and, and talked about how there was going to be pain from the tightening and markets didn't like that. And that almost correlated pretty closely to that uh, downturn in the equity market. So we'll pay attention to what Chair Powell has to say at Jackson Hole. And that's later uh, this month. So, okay. What about corporate bonds and the corporate credit market? You mentioned this, uh, fact that we've seen a spike in bankruptcy filings. So what is the model telling us about the corporate bond market? Yeah, really, really no change here. If anything more negative, potentially, uh, if you want to look at it that way, we remain very cautious on credit markets, the inversion of the yield curve that we've already mentioned, uh, quite a bit that, that signals a potential economic slowdown, not necessarily, uh, a great idea to get into credit, um, you know, with that particular circumstance happening, and then and then you talked about the corporate bankruptcies. Uh, that's not again something that's going to be helpful to that outlook. So you know, remaining cautious, um, you know, on the outlook for corporate bonds at this time. All right, let's move beyond stocks and bonds and take a look at real assets. Uh, gold and commodities. Why don't we start with gold? What's our outlook there? Yeah, the outlook hasn't changed too much from the last time we met. Um, that the long-term outlook remains positive towards gold, and we believe that in the long run, you know, gold could serve as this 
better hedge than bonds against a potential downturn in the equity markets. But in the shorter term, the model research indicates that gold could face some headwinds, particularly if the Fed finds it necessary to continue to increase short-term interest rates. Uh, in September, uh, maybe they noted it at the Jackson Hole meeting just to continue to combat inflation. You know, so this would likely result in an increase in real rates, that is nominal rates, less inflation. And uh, that increase in real rates would likely weigh negatively on gold uh, as those two move uh, inversely. However, over the long term, you know, once the Fed does cease its monetary tightening program or even perhaps is forced to revert to a more stimulative monetary policy and once again inject liquidity into the financial system, we could see the value of the U.S. dollar weaken. And this would likely coincide with an increase in the value of gold. Uh, and lastly, and we've noted this before, holding some gold can hedge against geopolitical risk in a world with, with, of course, no shortage of heightened tensions. So, you know, our outlook for gold is more cautious short term, but bullish longer term. But definitely that shock absorber uh, characteristic for gold is helpful in, 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 in the current environment. All right. Now we'll look at commodities. Uh, oil prices kind of spiked higher here uh, in the past few months. There was a report recently, I believe, that re uh, indicated that the inventories of oil in the U.S. have uh, fallen fairly sharply. So maybe signaling that strong demand, shortage of supply. Um, but what is our model telling us about commodities in general looking out? Yeah, I mean, the commodities had a strong month, uh, as you noted, from, from oil uh, in July. The broad basket that we're looking at is up you know, around 9%. Uh, and with that with that gain in July, it actually brings this basket to basically flat on the year. So commodities had not been a, a strong performer. Uh, you know that might have been on the heels of you know expectations of, of growth out of China. Uh, we don't we don't know entirely, but the, for the remainder of the year, commodity prices will just be so reliant on that that growth path globally, and and in particular probably China to to a greater extent. So. You know, commodity demand could be at, at risk in the face of, you know, lagged impact monetary policy from the world's major central banks, maybe catching up. Uh, so generally speaking, a negative outlook, shorter term and, and a bit more uncertain in the future. All right. Well, that covers it. Stocks, bonds, real assets. Um, no change in our asset class matrix, but a lot going on underneath that. And so thank you very much for filling us in. Uh, on those details. And even though we're in the middle of summer, there'll be a lot of things to keep our eye on uh, this month. So thank you very much for the update, Eric. So that will do it for Eric and me for this month's edition of the Three Edge View from the Edge. Eric and I will be back again in early September. Ooh, end of summer. <laughs> Meanwhile, Steve Kukiaro and I will be back next week with the next edition of the Three Edge Weekend Review. If you'd like a hard copy of our our View from the Edge newsletter for August. You'll find that on our website. And our website is 3edgeam.com. And as a reminder, our entire video library is always available on our 3Edge YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube, type in 3Edge, and you'll see uh, all of our videos there. So on behalf of Eric and everyone here at 3Edge, thanks for listening. This commentary is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities. The opinions expressed in View from the Edge are those of Mr. Foltz and Mr. Beagleisen and are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. This commentary is not intended to provide personal investment advice and does not take into account the unique investment objectives and financial situation of the listener. 
investors should only seek investment advice from their financial advisor. The observations include information from sources that 3Edge believes to be reliable, but the accuracy of such information cannot be guaranteed. Investments, including common stocks, fixed income, commodities, and ETFs, all involve a risk of loss that investors should be prepared to bear.